Hi, I'm Terry Pattar. Welcome to this episode of the Jane's Podcast. On this episode, I wanted to talk about thinking about the future. This is a key part of intelligence, and it's one of the topics that really occupies my thinking, but also the thinking of us at Jane's and the Jane's Intelligence Unit in particular. And one of the things that we wanted to discuss in terms of thinking about the future is a technique called wargaming. I'm joined on this episode by Tate Nurkin, who's an expert in running wargames and has participated in a lot of wargames. Tate is the founder of OTH Intelligence and is a non-resident senior a fellow at the Atlantic Council, part of their forward defence group at the Scowcroft Centre. He's also a partner to One Defence and a senior associate with Jane's and previously ran the Jane's Consulting Services as well, I should add, for full disclosure, uh, hiring me in the process <laughs> in, in uh, what yeah, definitely seems like uh, it wasn't as long ago as it actually is. <laughs> Well, I don't make very many great decisions, but that was clearly uh, at the top of the list. <laughs> Thanks, Tate. Um, the check's in the post. Um, <laughs> uh, well, welcome to the podcast, Tate. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for taking the time to talk about wargaming, because this is, uh, you know, it's a topic that I think is much misunderstood by people, and I think it'd be great to talk through the kind of benefits of wargaming and what it is and how people can use it. Because it's something that we help our clients with a lot. And I think because it's a part of the genesis of Jane's, you know, it's part of the, the origins of Jane's really in terms of the war games that Fred T. Jane started off designing around sort of tabletop naval war gaming and wanting to gather data and information to help improve the quality of those. I think that still runs through what we do today. And um, in terms of, again, helping people understand and plan and prepare for the future. Um, so, yeah, maybe we can start off by talking about you know, not necessarily what wargaming was back then, but what wargaming is now and, and what you think of as wargaming and, and the kind of stuff that you've been involved in. Yeah, it's a great place to start. You know, I think it, it is a great place to start because the term itself is one that has, at least in my experience over the last 20 to 25 years of doing games, it means a lot of different things to different people in different contexts. And so vocabulary matters, how you talk about wargaming matters because I think there is a connotation that when you associate with wargaming that it's you know kind of military operational games you know one side against the other uh, which is definitely part of what war games are and, and can be um, frequently you know you, I've, I've been part of, of war games where you had you know uh, sort of playing out scenarios uh, uh, tabletops while at the same time there are you know, live um, live exercises going on, and those are very sophisticated games, and that's certainly, like I said, uh, part of what wargaming is, a big part of it. But but I think I look at it as a much broader sort of methodological tool, one that has real uh, sort of intersections with scenario planning and with um, sort of red teaming, which sometimes is actually is frequently incorporated in, into war games. But it, but it's a tool that design that is designed to be very collaborative, very interactive, that brings together stakeholders uh, or analysts or decision makers to test kind of plans, strategies, policies, uh, and tactics uh, to explore new or uncertain landscapes, to identify and anticipate possible surprises, and really to understand second and third order consequences of decision making as well, to play out decisions in real uh, sort of in a time compressed environment. So to me, the, the, the core components of, of war games are, you know, this table, this or tabletop exercises is really built around, you know, bringing together these stakeholders, putting them in, in different groups or teams so that they can evaluate problems from different perspectives or even compete against one another. But it's to drive sort of tension and make people think about 
the environments they're in or could be in, in the future and to test and challenge their assumptions. That's a really great description. And I think the way you framed it there in terms of it being a broader concept, I think is really useful because perhaps that's something that people don't often understand. And actually that there's lots of different ways you can use wargaming. And one of the aspects that you sort of touched on there, which is thinking through decisions and thinking about those second and third order consequences, et cetera. What's the sort of process you would go through in a war game to help them help facilitate that? Well, sure. I think uh, part of it is the environment you create. So war games are typically, I would say, you know, there, there are exceptions to every rule, but they, they really are, are almost always scenario based. So you put someone into a world that is somewhat different than the one they're in today, and you take them out of their day-to-day environment and their day-to-day sort of operational mentality, and, and you put them into this scenario. Um, and sometimes individuals have a hard time <laughs> with that. Uh, so you, you explain to them not to fight the scenario. That's the first uh, rule of, of war gaming, <laughs> don't fight the scenario. Um, part of the art of this is making sure you're asking them the right questions and creating the right environment and forcing individuals to consume information quickly and to make decisions sort of almost to invoke their intuition because you know some of these scenarios might play out over months and you only have like four hours right <laughs> or, right, right to, to, to progress the mm-hmm. action so I think putting them in a different in a different environment that one that they may not be entirely used to or comfortable with um, asking questions that they may not be thinking about or may stretch their analytical filters and their thinking, bringing in people who know how to do this, how to facilitate war games is important. Yeah, so those are all all, all kind of core components of this. Um, and then having a design that keeps people engaged, keeps people kind of wanting to participate in the exercise, I think is, is really important as well. I've always been impressed by how big the control teams are with some of the war games that we've been involved in and and so yeah we get to get your thoughts on firstly the design and the preparation what you know what what needs to go into that how much effort does that involve and then secondly how important is the control function within a, within a war game yeah so on the design side you know i always say that uh war gaming because it's such a broad methodology and when we're talking you know this is sort of expanded definition of war gaming there's not really one way to do this right and that every war game design is going to be contingent upon first and foremost the objectives not 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 the analytical outcomes necessarily because you don't want to bias the outcome right you don't want to say well this is what we want the war game to say let's design a game to say it no no but you do want to design the war game uh, around the the objective what problem are you trying to address what plan are you trying to test what tensions are you trying to or trade-offs are you trying to understand so that's where the first part of design comes in. And then also design will have to incorporate administrative things like how many days, how big are the rooms? I mean, it's very mundane issues. How many people are going to be there? Those all are all critical components um, because you, war games are built around teams. And if you, you, know, you don't want teams that have 20 people on them, you also probably want to avoid teams with one or two uh, if you right. can. But I will say that there's a lot of preparation that goes into these events, that, you know, just in terms of, of building a design and scenarios that are going to get you to the objective that you want to achieve. They're going to allow folks to discuss the issues that are most important um, to build teams. I mean, team dynamics are really very important to build the read ahead materials that, you know, 
that sometimes don't get read, but they're important. <laughs> everyone at least has the opportunity to show up knowing what's going to what, what issues are going to be talked about and what the scenario, the first scenario at least looks like. So, so there's a lot of prep that goes into these from an administrative and research side, and also you know kind of tinkering with the design all the way up to the game, and even during the game, sometimes you're you're making adjustments. Uh, to scenarios and to the way you have uh, structured the game in order to make sure that it's running smoothly. Yeah, no doubt. You know, once you've completed all that preparation and uh, as you've alluded to, ho- hopefully people have read the read ahead material yeah. um, because there's I know there's a huge amount of work that goes into that. But then you've got a you've got a control team, a facilitation team, which is running it. And, you know, you've been involved in that part of running those exercises. Maybe talk a little bit through that process. What does that involve? And, you know, from from your your perspective, being on a control team, what are the kind of things you're trying to achieve or make happen as the as the game progresses? I mean, I think there are a couple of components. If you think about the wargaming continuum of what support for, for a wargame typically involves, it starts with conceptualization, right? So understanding the objectives, and really sharpening the objectives. And that can be a collaborative process between the wargame designer and the key stakeholders. There's the kind of the research and preparation side. There's the design phase. And of course, those two are really closely connected. The execution phase um, I think, you know, it involves facilitation and it involves adjudication, which is con- basically control. And um, facilitation, I mean, I, I think it's probably not that difficult to put on a war game. It is much more difficult to put on an effective one. <laughs> and I think facilitation is so important to a good game because you are dealing with small group dynamics, right? And 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 this is one of the big challenges associated with wargaming is you have a lot of people, frequently people with uh, invested interests <laughs> in the outcome of the game and how it progresses, sometimes with big egos, which is not a problem at all, but it does affect the dynamics of small groups. So you have to have people who can keep uh, the teams on task. So, you know, you really have someone who, who can control uh, a small group, keep them focused, make sure that they're not, you know, throwing things at each other <laughs> and screaming at each other at a bigger game level. Um, you know, the sort of the game master, the person who's uh, in the control team, um, you want to make sure that you are creating enough friction to drive action in the game, right? You want you want there to be something, the game is in uh, challenges that have to be assessed. Um, you want to make sure that, you know, the game is asking questions that aren't, that they wouldn't have asked in another context. And you're forcing uh, participants to, uh, to to just kind of stretch a little bit. So just on that, so do you ever find yourself, if you're in that situation where you're running a game where perhaps the participants are kind of almost sticking to the script? If they're, I mean, I know there isn't a script, but they're almost kind of being too predictable or that there's not, there isn't that friction being generated. And, you know, how do you then make that happen? Well, I think, you know, you change the rules, right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's probably a little too flippant, but, but I, mm. you know, there are lots of ways to do it. And again, it depends on what's, what, you know, kind of the design and all of that with all those caveats. If you're doing kind of a scenario-based game, you can, you know, injects are always a useful way. You know, you change the scenario, you change the environment by saying this has now happened. Now you want to be careful with these things. You don't want to make them so wild that it kind of throws off the, you know, begins to stretch credulity, but uh, but but anyway, I would say that injects are one way. There's always the option of of just telling the facilitators, you know, you got to push these people a lot harder, which sometimes is the, is the challenge, or you just change the structure. I mean, that 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 is not unheard of. I mean, if if the structure isn't working, then that needs to be addressed. So I think flexibility is another really important component of a successful game. It doesn't have to be, but but I think 
being able to evaluate whether or not what you're doing is working and then on the fly have a couple a couple of things in your back pocket that you can introduce to to drive the game forward or or make it more dynamic yeah and you, you mentioned a little earlier in terms of when people are involved in these types of exercises sometimes they can be very fixed in their views on what the answer is to the question that you're trying to address you know if they're coming with preconceptions yeah. how do they break away from those preconceptions Part of it is um, is in the facilitation mode, and, and and actually even in the in the read aheads, like we always uh, include at least one short article, sometimes more, about the process of working, <laughs> so that the individuals again who read the read aheads will show up knowing that this isn't just reciting what you do at work. We're trying to do something different here. We're trying to expand, and we also make a a, a very clear point at the beginning of every exercise that I'm involved in, that this is supposed to be a collaborative and be safe, right? So even though your boss is in the room, <laughs> right, uh, don't be afraid uh, to, in a tactful way, say, I think that this is a better idea, right? I mean, that can be hard for anybody at any level, but we try and create environments and, and structure teams in ways where people are encouraged and to feel safe about offering uh, viewpoints that they wouldn't offer in their day-to-day -day jobs um, because that's the point in a large a lot of these exercises that's the point so that, that's part of it and then from a facilitation perspective you know you got to know what questions to ask you got to know how to how to get people out of there you know what are some things that surprised you what are some things that you wouldn't think of that you're you know that those types of questions that require people to kind of evaluate their uh the, the things that they aren't thinking about um, that, that, that is a little bit of a challenge, but it's, it's something that I think is a really important part of a war game. Yeah, no, indeed, indeed. And what about getting a mixture of specialists or subject matter experts and maybe people who are more generalist coming to that topic with less knowledge? I don't know. I'm asking that question because, uh, I think probably in the ones I've been involved in, I've looked around the room and I thought, wow, there's a lot of really yeah. deep subject matter experts in this room i don't feel like i don't know much about this subject i felt like i did before i walked into the room but now i'm not so sure um but then you know if, if certainly from my experience i feel like actually you could still contribute there's still an important role to be played for uh having you know people who don't necessarily know in depth everything about the subject but to what extent is that important you know having having some people in the room who do have that subject matter expertise and others who don't Getting the mix right is important. Um, and actually, I mentioned earlier that, you know, there are overlaps and intersections between uh, wargaming and other alternative analysis methods. I mentioned scenario planning and red teaming. Those are very obvious ones, but also things like devil, devil's advocacy, or, or, um, you know, where you actually put people into rooms whose job it is to be a little bit more controversial, right? That's another way to get to stimulate conversation, but who are just sort of good thinkers and provocative, not um, not sort of insulting, but, but provocative, um, and, and who can who can you know help work with facilitator to drive some of the action. So getting the mix right between subject you know kind of deep dive subject matter experts, good thinkers, and people who are going to contribute big ideas uh, and be able to think strategically about about the problem is really important. It is, and and you know again we encourage part of the facilitation challenge is to encourage. Uh, people to participate and to make sure they understand that you know they're not going to get penalized for participation. No one's going to you know professionally or personally. So so yeah, I think you know it's critical that these exercises be collaborative, and that they I think in most cases incorporate sort of multidisciplinary um, uh, perspectives. 
And so you get the subject deep dive subject matter expert. You get someone with a little bit broader perspective. Again, you got to get that mix right. And sometimes that's not possible because, you know, for all sorts of administration, administrative or resource reasons, but you try and do the best you can with the people who are going to be participating in the exercise. I have to admit, I've, I've quite enjoyed playing that sort of devil's advocate role in those kind of situations yeah. or at the very least asking questions like um you know sort of alexander's question around you know okay well, what would it take to happen for you to change your mind you know because sometimes i think with those sort of subject matter experts they do have that sort of fixed idea of what what is going to happen in this scenario in this situation and um yeah, yeah. it's just it's just sort of kind of trying to open up their minds a little bit to facilitate that broader discussion exactly and i'll, and I'll give you an example we, we did yeah. a many years ago actually uh, we did a game um, for a for a company that was looking to kind of break into the U.S. government federal market a little bit more in their industry, and they didn't really have a lot of uh, experience in the federal federal market. And the U.S. federal market it has its own dynamics, right? And so we had you know these people who are all part of business development and marketing in different parts of the organization of this of this company, and um, and then we brought in a handful of you know kind of people who had served in DOD and in the uh, in the, the national security community at, at various layers, you know, just a handful of people. And it was um, it was really interesting to watch how these people who have served either in the government or consulted into the government um, interacted with people who uh, really had very little experience <laughs> and to see sort of the clashing of expectations and assumptions was one of the most important things about that game because you had this again if you just had folks who were part of the company um i don't think we would have had nearly as, as successful an exercise because they didn't have anyone to really challenge their assumption and be able to relate in a, in a very sort of um uh, personal way some of the challenges that go and opportunities but challenges mainly <laughs> that go with doing business in, in the u.s federal space and so you know having this mix of perspectives uh, usually is, is really very important and very valuable and can generate some interesting outcomes. You know, it's interesting how many times actually on this podcast, um, the challenges of federal procurement have come up, but, um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a great example. Cause I don't think it's one that many people would have thought of probably off the top of their heads when they're thinking about, uh, where to use wargaming. And so what are the types of, you know, maybe you can give us sort of just a selection of some of the war games that you've been involved in just to give a, uh, an idea of the sort of range of questions or topics that can be addressed using wargaming. Yeah, sure. I mean, like I said, it is when we think about wargaming more along the the tabletop exercise, you know, uh, definition. Um, yeah, it, it's an enormously uh, broad and flexible methodology. So, you know, we've done, like I said, you know, any sort of question where you're looking at what are some of the trade-offs what are some of the changes that we need to make what are how do we test our assumptions and our strategies how do you know here's a new environment or a new market or you know that we're looking to get into or you know here's a, a threat that we're trying to figure out a little bit better all of these things uh, can be can be gained um, you know so we've done uh, sort of exercises looking at the future of Syria and Iraq conflicts for, for a number of years ran those obviously you were involved in many of those looking at the future of, of, of those conflicts and you know gamed it out developed scenarios that looked at potential futures um, and, and gamed those out over a day and a half two days um, done team uh, red team games so uh, games trying to understand competitor or adversary perspectives and decision making processes and priorities 
um, uh, looking uh, not just as for military and security, but also for defense industry, understanding how their competitors might approach a, a specific capture opportunity, which was, I think, which ultimately was successful. The, the company ended up going on to win the capture opportunity, although, you know, this was just one input clearly into the process, not suggesting otherwise. Um, technology games where you're looking at, you know, investments in technologies and how they, how those technologies might drive future strategic or operational or tactical advantage and what trade-offs uh, do you have to make. Um, you know, kind of the traditional operational or strategic war game where you're actually looking at a scenario maybe five, ten years into the future uh, and playing out, uh, testing your, your actual uh, strategy that you want to sort of stress test and understanding what, you know, once you got past first contact, what sort of other outcomes might we see? What other competitions might we see? Mm -hmm. Been involved in comp competitive strategy games where you're just trying to understand what sort of different asymmetries between competitors and how to exploit those uh, asymmetries from your perspective and protect uh, some of the vulnerabilities that those asymmetries create for you. So, so there's a full range. I mean, this is really mm -hmm. Um, if you have a, a tough question and you're looking at trade-offs and you're looking at, at, at testing, um, uh, stress testing different plans and strategies, this can be a really useful methodology. It's, I mean, that's that's fascinating. Just that list of different topics you've given there. I mean, it's yeah, the, the breadth is um, incredible in terms of what you can apply the technique to. Um, and I guess always bearing in mind that it's it you know, it's about understanding the the aims and the outcomes and what those outcomes will be and it's not going to give somebody the right answer or you know it's not going to this process isn't going to make a decision for an organization it's just going to help them understand different right. consequences etc is that one of the one of the pitfalls though you find sometimes with wargaming that people expect it to come to, to create an answer for them process I mean, communication and expectation setting is really important um and that and it needs to be sort of iterated throughout the process <laughs> but yeah i mean i i think wargaming like any alternative analysis technique any futures focused technique can be a really important input rarely is it the only deciding input right so it needs to be the outputs of a war game need to be taken alongside probably a lot of other considerations and not just analytical ones but frequently bureaucratic ones <laughs> play a role as well and and what what you do with the outputs of a war game when you talk about like you know developing those different pathways designing the exercise etc i mean it's an inherently creative exercise the whole endeavor do you feel like that's becoming harder and what i'm alluding to there is that we're now in a world that feels like there's a lot more uncertainty around in some ways yes um because you do want to create scenarios that get people a little bit outside of their comfort zone. And now I think one of the good things that is going on is you're seeing more people begin to to uh, at least start to examine, you know, what would happen if there's a global pandemic, for example, that might have been um, not taken quite as seriously uh, in the even recent past. But in, in another way, that that helps because like come back to the first rule of wargaming or or even scenario planning exercises don't fight the scenario and a lot of people over the years have been in rooms where people would say this would never happen or it would happen like this or they'll just take the scenario right dissect every little bit of it and, and of course some of that is important if you're getting really into the operational and tactical details of, of a game that's designed to examine those things you want to make sure they're right 
but the, the the general knee-jerk reaction that um, again just you know a global pandemic that you know shuts down or slows the global economy this you know as much as we've seen over the last year would never happen that instinct I think is being tempered by some of the events that we've seen um, so in that sense maybe it gives a frame of you know you, you get a reference point to say you know I know you think this isn't going to happen but what we've even seen you know we're living through now you know can happen uh, and so I think that that maybe that does add a little bit of ammunition for the facilitator and for the adjudicator and the control team to be able to say that these things are are within the realm of possibility. Um, so let's not let's not have the pushback that sometimes does slow games down. Yeah, that's always, I guess, been one of those perennial challenges. Anytime you anytime you run a, an exercise like this, that there's going to be people who are very fixed in their views. And, and um, yeah, now there's the, more of a. A willingness perhaps to to think about those things that's interesting yeah to consider because there there has been so much of this awakening to the idea that you know disruptive events and black swans and gray rhinos and all that are, are happening that you don't want to take it so far like again it's, it's it's a little bit of a balance and i think um, you, you know it when you see it kind of thing when you've gone too far aliens are involved um well, like i mean sometimes you might set out to run a war game where you're exploring those very low probability but high impact scenarios um but yeah i guess i guess if it's if it's not within that context and you're throwing things in that are sort of out completely out of the blue which yeah. you know just in order to disrupt a scenario then yeah i guess people will push back right that's right that's right mm. so it's a difference and we talked about injects earlier and mm. so if things aren't going quite the way if there isn't enough tension or friction in the game, you have tools you can use to to drive that. But again, you, you have to do it in a way that stays connected to the scenario you're in. But but you know you know you make a great point. These types of exercises are really good for exploring scenarios that you haven't thought about before. You know some of these other things like um, radiological bombs were something that people were talking a lot about or you know political disruptions in countries that you weren't quite sure whether they would make a big strategic difference or not or you know things like that that may seem low impact but again or low uh, likelihood but, but could be high impact and we ought to be thinking about uh, because these are complex dynamics uh, and we, we should be prepared for something like that to happen yeah no that's that's really interesting i think thinking about contingencies and, and planning for those it always feels like as soon as the the crisis arises, though, the contingency plans go out of the window quite often. And so, <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah, maybe there is a role there for wargaming to to help embed some of that and help people think through actually what what they would do with uh, that scenario if it arises. Create relationships too. I mean, and we've talked about the analytical mm. value of war games. You know, the testing, the exploring, all that. Um, and the bureaucratic benefit of, of, of war games, but but it's also there's a personal benefit because you, even in this environment now where we're we're doing war games and exercises virtually, which is a really, which by the way, creates some sort of a, in my mind unexpected advantages mm. and also some challenges. But but it's mm. been has not been as difficult as possible to, as maybe some would think to do these virtual exercises. But but you're still communicating with people. You're communicating with people that you're going to have to work with. If there is a crisis, these are the types of people that you're going to have to engage with. And now you may know them. I'll give you one really interesting and admittedly uh, unique in my 20 plus years of doing this example. But we were doing a first responders exercise and uh and we were a scenario in which two hurricanes hit this part of the world simultaneously and uh so all the resources were stretched then and one 
uh, I think it was a police officer said, you know, my challenge would be I don't have any generators. I don't have any. I don't have enough generators to go around. And the fire fighter from the town next door was like, well, I've got like five generators in my <laughs> in my basement. How about I give you one and we can work something out? And so, I mean, you could actually have this conversation mm -hmm. never would have happened uh, or maybe would have taken a, a, another moment of, of good luck to happen. And that connection was made. Now, that's an extreme example, but it does mean that when these contingencies do happen and you've had conversations with people, some of whom you may be working with uh, to respond, you know, you have a shared experience and framework uh, to move forward. That's a great point. And I think actually thinking back to some of my experiences, you know, some of those exercises that, you know, you've run, um, the Syria Iraq example is a good one where we were exploring, you know, what might happen in the conflict over, you know, the, the, the next sort of period of time. But just being part of that exercise and being involved and, and working with colleagues or other people um, within that exercise who I might not have otherwise been able to make time to talk to or, or really become aware of their expertise, it did help then kickstart conversations that took place beyond that war game and you know you sort of revisit some of those ideas and thoughts and um some of the narratives and scenarios that you were discussing on the exercise you know because three months down the line inevitably something happens or an event happens something pops up in the news or whatever and you think oh actually this relates to that war game we were on and and you revisit that connection and you talk to that person again and so that's a really great point it's good to hear that that's still feasible in this virtual world now we're in now the advantages of the virtual games that I've done over the summer um, in the fall, uh, they were really efficient. They were really efficient because no one wants to spend an extra minute on a Zoom call. <laughs> right? They already have. And then people get things done and they don't mess right. around. And they, not to say that that happens in war games, but, you know, in, in an in-person exercise, typically, you know, there are times when you move from one room to the other did you go to your breakout rooms and you and that takes a little bit of time there's always some time that bleeds away for social interaction and getting set up and having coffee and so so you know there's an efficiency to the virtual games <laughs> you know when, when we're talking about wargaming and you've always talked about it being very broad in the way that it can be applied as a technique or a method and um there's so many different situations in which you can get benefit from running war games but is there a limit to sort of the uh, utility of doing them in terms of the, the time frame that you might look at yeah I, I think there's um there's obviously challenges if you're talking about what's going to happen in 2050 right <laughs> right and 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 the main you know because there's only so much you can know about the development of technology the development of relationships all of the things that you would probably go into some sort of scenario that said it's not impossible you just have to, and again, 2050 is a long way away, but it's not impossible to get out into the sort of far future. You just have to be incredibly open and precise in your uh, assumptions. So everyone has to know that this is the assumption that we made, and this is why we made it, and, you know, don't fight it. And and then you also have to be very clear about the limitations of a game that goes out that far, because it's 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 only going to be able to identify kind of in broad strokes what the concerns will be. So I think there, there are clear limitations the further you get away, but also uh, to do things that are really, really close, to do things that are going to happen tomorrow or next week, that also has limitations because you're not asking people to, to think differently. You're asking people to evaluate what they do in a situation that is almost exactly like today, right? With the same people, the same dynamics, essentially. Yeah, no, indeed, indeed. You know, you and I could talk about this this type of stuff all day, and I, I loved 
to to you know hear your thoughts and, and get your um uh the benefits of your experience on wargaming in particular and uh other sort of alternative analysis techniques and things but you know are there any other sort of bits of advice you would give to anybody who's thinking about running a war game or you know the kind of things that they should be think- thinking about before they decide to go ahead with it <laughs> yeah i mean i i think one has to do with technology uh, because I think it's really important. We, we touched a little bit on sort of the collaborative technologies, the Zooms and the Teams and all of that, which has become important. I mean, they, and we, you can do you can do successful games virtually, but there also can be a tendency sometimes in, in sort of larger, more sophisticated games to incorporate models, to incorporate data visualization tools, which can be really effective. They can they can add granularity. So it's it's a really could be very powerful um, enabler, but proceed with a little bit of, uh, of caution and how those tools are actually employed. That's really interesting, actually, because, yeah, I think if it's if it works well, I guess it can make the whole war game experience more immersive for the participants. For me, that's what the original kind of tabletop war games were all about that, you know, Fred T. Jane uh, created, which was to make data and the information more immersive to help you understand what are the consequences of, uh, of the different situations that might evolve. Thanks so much for your time and, and taking the time to, to join me and, and talk about wargaming. Yeah, no, this has been great, Terry. You know you don't uh, need to twist my arm to talk about, uh, <laughs> about wargaming or to talk to you. So thanks very much for the opportunity. <laughs>